Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Asset Allocation Weekly Report for October 29, 2021. Raising the federal debt limit has reemerged this fall as a political issue, one that has the potential of impacting the financial markets. I'm Phil Adler, joining me to discuss the current standoff over the debt limit and the investment implications is Confluence Investment Management Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady. Bill, the debt limit is being wielded as a tool to limit federal spending, but as you communicate in your written report, it wasn't designed to do that. How did we end up here? Well, originally, when Congress authorized a spending measure, it would instruct the Treasury on how to fund that spending, either by allocating tax revenue or by authorizing borrowing. When the federal government was small, this system actually worked just fine. But during World War I, when U.S. federal spending jumped for the war effort, this process became unwieldy. And so to facilitate the war effort, Congress gave the Treasury a limit on the debt it could issue and then allowed it to decide how it wanted to allocate the spending to either debt or revenue. Congress did have limits on this process, but those limits were removed by legislation in 1939. In 1979, Dick Gephardt introduced a legislative rule that automatically lifted the debt ceiling once a budget was passed. This rule was repealed in 1995, and since then we've seen the limit raised as spending has increased, but the limit has occasionally become a point of contention, especially by the party out of power. And so one party will sometimes decide it will not approve a higher limit without getting compensated for its vote. However, it should be remembered that spending has already been authorized. The proper place to fight it is when the legislation is being drafted. Bill, where else in the world does this same type of periodic debt limit debate occur? Well, there's only really one other nation that seems to use it. That's Denmark, and it has set a limit so high that it is in no danger of being breached. Well, have battles over the debt limit caused real harm to the U.S. economy and the financial markets in the past? Well, perhaps the most notorious one was the 1995-96 crisis that led to the shutdown of government and thrust a young Monica Lewinsky into the Oval Office. Since this is a family podcast, we won't go into detail. This event didn't have much impact on the financial market, but it did lead to an impeachment trial. In 2011, fights over the budget and the debt ceiling led S&P to downgrade treasuries from AAA to AA. As one would expect, equities fell on this news. Interestingly enough, treasuries actually rallied, showing that the dollar's reserve status is more important than the opinion of a, of a credit rating agency. In 2013, the GOP tried to use the debt ceiling to defund the ACA. That effort failed too. In general, the public tends to blame the party that causes the tumult. And so the GOP mostly suffered from the 2011 and 2013 events, although the damage for the most part was limited. Do you think the debate this year has had an impact so far on the financial markets? Well, the m most current impact is more about the Treasury curtailing the issuance of debt. We have seen one-month T-bill rates rise above the three-month rates, which is unusual. But the overall impact has been rather modest so far. Now, Bill, in your, in your written piece, you discuss two possible ways to address the, the debt ceiling issue. So let, let's look at each. The first is to ignore it and keep borrowing. What's the justification for this approach? The 14th Amendment says that the U.S. debt will not be questioned, meaning that treasuries can't default. 
The argument is that the Treasury should just continue to issue debt as if the ceiling doesn't exist and, and let the courts take up the issue. This idea was examined during the Clinton administration in the 95-96 event. Wouldn't this run the risk of a protracted constitutional challenge playing out in the courts with financial markets pressured by elevated uncertainty? You are precisely correct. Although I suppose a court could issue an injunction and force the Treasury to issue debt to avoid default. But news that the courts could make a ruling that would result in default would have an outsized adverse effect on Treasuries, thus leading administrations to avoid this tactic. The other possible solution you mentioned is one that I've heard about a lot lately. Why not just have the Treasury Department mint a billion-dollar coin and deposit it at the Federal Reserve? What's the reasoning here? Well, it's a combination of a couple of powers of the Treasury. First, the Treasury has the mandate to mint money. Second, it is allowed to print numismatic coins. Listeners might remember the state quarters that used to be issued in the past. The Treasury can mint coins using various precious metals for collectors or for those who want to hold bullion without having the metal assayed. In general, minted money has more value than the material used to create it. This excess gain is called seniorage and it goes to the government. Coins that are minted in gold, silver, and palladium by law can only be minted in rather low denominations, $1, $5, $25, $50, and $100. But there's an unusual loophole for platinum. It can be minted in any denomination the Treasury desires, and thus we've heard talk of the trillion-dollar platinum coin idea. Wouldn't this undermine people's faith in the value of money and cause inflation and also delegitimize the power of Congress? Well, this question gets at the heart of money. Earlier this year, we wrote a geopolitical report on central bank digital currencies. In our research, we delved into the whole idea of money, which at heart is a social contract. When most people are taught money and banking in college, it's taught from the perspective of a metallic standard, even though the gold standard ended in 1971. The fact that money is created, yes, out of thin air, by banks and by government. But if that idea is universally held, it would become apparent that government can fund anything it wants. This is the point of modern monetary theory. As long as a government operates a fiat currency and borrows in that currency, the only funding constraint it faces is confidence in the currency and the projects it decides to fund. The Constitution was written in an era of metallic-backed currencies, and separation of power reflects that fact. With such currencies, government can't fund themselves, or at least not without their own gold mines, and, and must raise revenue in the form of taxes to spend. That's why this power was given to Congress. The House members face election every two years and are thus held accountable to voters. But that isn't the case if the currency isn't backed by anything scarce. A platinum coin would create a moment similar to the court scene in A Few Good Men, where Colonel Nathan Jessup tells Lieutenant Caffey, you can't handle the truth. Another proposal for a long-term solution that I've heard recently calls for transferring the responsibility for lifting the debt ceiling to the Treasury Department from Congress, and Congress would only have the power to block a proposed increase. Does this proposal stand a chance? None. The spending is authorized by Congress. They should acknowledge this fact by making the debt ceiling an administrative process. But we could see a return to the Gephardt arrangement. Bill, how are the markets likely to react if the present December 3rd deadline draws closer with no solution? 
The markets believe the debt ceiling process in Congress is political theater. There is a general expectation that default just isn't going to happen, and the markets are mostly correct on this position. Is the present impasse a big enough reason to consider changes in asset allocation strategies? No, but, and this is a large but, is that every time we go down this path, we we open up a much larger Pandora's box where the very faith in money is questioned. This faith is put at risk when governments are forced to either ignore the debt ceiling or mint special coins. And so, we watch these and other developments carefully. These sorts of fears is why we put gold and commodities in our portfolios. And how do you think this particular impasse may play out in the end? Well, I I expect some drama, but in the end, the most likely outcome is the Democrats will pass the debt ceiling and reconciliation, which won't require any GOP votes. Thank you, Bill. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler. 